passage that some of you will uh, know right off the bat, others of you will uh, uh, hear it echo in maybe some uh, memory in your mind, and for others, if it's brand new, I, I hope it'll be impactful for you. But we're going to take a moment, uh, in just a moment, we're going to look at uh, a passage in the very last chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. So Matthew chapter 28, some of you are rushing ahead and you know where I'm going already. Uh, but I want to talk this morning about our 2019. This is going to be a little bit different of a message than you are accustomed to me uh, hearing from me, but I, I think it will be necessary. I think it's going to be helpful. Uh, it's one that I uh, have prayed and hopefully labored properly over. One of the oldest cliches in uh, business school is the statement, customers want quarter-inch holes, not quarter-inch drills. Uh, it, it is this principle that uh, if you're a, a company that sells drill bits, that the customer doesn't actually want your drill bit. That's not the end goal. What they, they don't want a, uh, a set of, of nice, clean, pristine-looking drill bits hanging around their house. What they actually want are the holes that, create, that are created from that drill bit. It's very much akin, uh, being a good Floridians, we're all familiar with Walt Disney and uh, the happiest place on earth uh, that is just a hop, skip, and a jump to the middle part of the state. Walt Disney never had in mind that what he wanted to create were movies and roller coasters. Instead, he wanted to delight the hearts of people. And so he would utilize movies and roller coasters and amusement parks and all, and all the like in order to do that. But every once in a while, people make mistake, uh, make a mistake as to what it is that they're here for. Uh, one of a great modern illustration of this is the difference between Blockbuster and Netflix. Uh, Blockbuster thought that it was in the business of renting VHS tapes and DVD discs. Netflix understood that it was in the business of entertaining people, and it would do that by any means necessary, whether that was a subscription and you would get discs in the mail, or you could download it from the internet, or you could watch it on your television, which is the reason why many years ago, Blockbuster actually had the opportunity to buy a little startup company called Netflix for just a few million dollars, and they passed on it saying, that'll never work. What people really want are VHS tapes and DVDs that they can go to a store and stroll around through the aisles and get. Well, now Blockbuster is out of business and Netflix is a multi-billion dollar worldwide global phenomenon. We have to make the decision as to what is it that we're in the business for? What is it that we are here for? Is it uh, to promote and to deliver a bunch of widgets and uh, religious goods and services? Or is it that we desire for people to experience something that is transformative, something that is more than the, than the physical thing that we can put our hand on. In Matthew chapter 28, uh, shortly before Jesus ascends back to heaven, so this is at the point where Jesus has lived on the earth, He has died on behalf of our sins, uh, He was uh, buried in the grave, and three days later He rose from the dead, uh, therefore purchasing our salvation. He appears to his followers for a number of days, and before he goes back to heaven, it says in Matthew chapter 28, and I want to begin at verse 17, because they've gathered on a mountain uh, there in Galilee, 
And it says, when they saw him. Now, who is the when they saw him? Well, if you look at verse 16, you'll see it says, the 11 disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And it says, when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. And Jesus came near, and he said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Uh, the message to whom this great commission, which is what it has become known to us in the church, is this is the great commission of Jesus. Uh, the message that is given of the Great Commission is delivered to two groups of people. It's not just delivered to the super saints uh, who are ready to go and, and charge hell with a water pistol. Instead, it says that he gathered near to a group of people, and some of them doubted, and some of them worshipped. There were some cynics and some skeptics and some, some people in the crowd that were not so sure about this whole thing yet. They, they were not so sure about what it was going to look like to follow Jesus. And maybe that's the category that you find yourself in today, is that you like Jesus, you really do believe that Jesus rose from the dead, you've put your faith in Jesus that you would have salvation, forgiveness, mercy, and grace in your own life but there's still kind of a hesitation or a stutter step to you every once in a while. And then there are others in this crowd where it says, and they worshiped him. They were completely bought in. They were, uh, they were hunkered down. They were, all, uh, they were all in with it. And this commission, so is not just given to the leaders of a church like us, but it is given to all of us, whether or not you find yourself in a, in a place of being a little skeptical or a little fearful, a little frightful, a little stressful, or if you are, you know, you're, you're raring to go and you're in the middle of the work. Some of the disciples doubted and some worshiped. But this commission really is for all of us who are willing to follow Jesus. And I, and I want to give to you what I think is the one very evident uh, biblical truth here from this passage, and that is the command of Jesus is for his disciples to make disciples. It is that simple. He, he says to his disciples, the people who are following him, the people who have trusted him as the Messiah, go and make disciples of all nations, all the people groups of the world, everybody who's near and everybody who's far, go and make disciples of all nations. So convince them, persuade them, introduce them to me so that they will then come after me and follow me as Lord and King of their life. And he says, and baptize them, bring them into the church, have them make a public confession that they are following me. And he said, and then teach them to obey, observe, to follow all of my commands. So help them to continue to mature in the faith. And remember, I'm always going to be with you. I'm never going to abandon you. To the very end of the age, to the very end of history, I'm always going to be with you. Well, I think as a church, uh, we are a group of people that we have decided that we want to pursue both faithfulness and fruitfulness in this great commission. We want to live faithfully to Jesus, and we want to seek fruitfulness as a group of people. And so, as I have said in, in, other, in other times, I want to reiterate today, and I think the purpose of our church is the purpose of every church, and that is that we exist to glorify God by making disciples. I think that is a universal truth for all churches at all periods of history and in all places. 
that, that local churches exist for the purpose of, of glorifying God through the making of additional disciples of Jesus. This is what we do. We help people find and follow Jesus and live faithfully and then also live fruitfully. Other people have put it this way, that, that our job is to be disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Uh, there, there ought to be a running, you know, kind of turnover that we're constantly making disciples who are disciple makers as well. And this is true of every church, whether it's in South America or Africa or Asia or North America, whether it's here locally or whether it's somewhere else globally, whether it was a church a thousand years ago or it's going to be a church a thousand years from now, that we exist to make disciples. Now, and then locally, I think as I assess the history of the First Baptist Church of Bradenton, Florida, and I think about who we are currently, I, I would propose to you again that I think a local vision for us of how we fulfill this great purpose of the church is that we are a people who want to empower disciples to live our faith and love our neighbor. We want to encourage and empower one another along the way that we do this great work that is universal for the church. And it's not just something that we kind of rah-rah from the side, but like we're getting into each other's lives. We're encouraging one another. Over the last couple of weeks, I've had the really cool opportunity that people have come to my office or they've given me phone calls or they've sent me text messages or, they, or, or I've had kind of personal interactions with people where they just came alongside of me and they said, you know, Philip, it's a brand new year. I just want to encourage you. I'm just glad, you know, that we're in this thing together. And, and, and you, know, I, you know, so I get that blessing. You get it as well, people coming alongside of you uh, to say, hey, you know, don't give up, keep pressing on, keep praying about it, keep working at it, keep seeking Jesus, keep following Jesus. We want to empower one another to live out our faith, the faith that we have, uh, that we have inherited through the Scripture, uh, the, the understanding of who Jesus is, the doctrine of who God is, uh, the understanding of all things that we get from the Scriptures. We are trying to live out this faith that has been given to the church. And we want to love our neighbor. It's very clear all the way from the beginning of the Scripture to the end of the Scripture that God is very concerned about the neighbor who is the outsider, the neighbor who is hurt, the neighbor that needs compassion. Because we are that neighbor that He came to find, and we've got neighbors all around us that we need to go get and that we need to care for. But I know that there are uh, some more pragmatists in the room. You know, there are some of you that you like the kind of emotive language of empowering and living out faith and loving our neighbor, and, and you, that, that's what, like, you're like, yeah, that's the kind of, of, of emotive kind of message that I need to hear. But then some of you are very, prag, you know, practical, and you're like, well, how are we going to know whether or not we're doing this? Well, you've heard me talk about being a three M church. I'm, I, I like words, and I like playing with words. And, and so, what are these kind of measurables or these metrics that we can use to know whether or not we're fulfilling uh, this great purpose and this local vision? And so, I, I've encouraged you to think about the metrics of multiply and mature and mobilize that we're multiplying the number of people that are following Jesus? Can we, can we look at our lives individually? Can we look at our church as a whole? And are we helping more people find and follow Jesus? Are we maturing as believers in knowing and obeying Jesus? That's part of the Great Commission, teaching them to observe, to obey all of my commands. 
You know, so becoming a disciple doesn't stop at the threshold of salvation. It's, whoo, you know, I'm so glad I got to cross that line and I got my, you know, my spiritual monopoly, get out of free, jail free card, and, and so now I'm done. But instead, we are to empower one another to grow and mature in the faith. But then also we see throughout all of the Scripture that God is one who sends us out into the world. He sent Christ to the earth. He commissions the church into the world. And so we're mobilizing as witnesses for Jesus in our community and around the world. We're helping other people do it by supporting mission agencies and church planters, whether it's in Denver or in the country of Jordan. You know, so we're mobilizing ourselves and others to be witnesses of Jesus. And so here we sit with this great universal purpose and a local kind of expression of that purpose through a vision. How, we, how is it that we're going to get at it? But I, I know that there's this great principle that was spoken by one of the kind of stellar business leaders a long time ago that is universally applied to all sorts of organizations. There's a guy by the name of Peter Drucker. Uh, some of you who maybe have been in the business world for a long time have heard that name. Maybe you've read one of his books or uh, you uh, heard one of his lectures about business. And, and one of his famous statements, as a matter of fact, it became the title of a book for someone else, is that culture eats strategy for breakfast. You, know, you can have the greatest plan in the world, but if you don't have the right culture, if you've got a broken set of kind of personal principles going on, well, then it doesn't matter what your strategy is because everybody gets worn out by it, nobody wants to do it. Now, this is where this particular message this morning is a little bit different from most of the ones that I preach because generally I like to find one long passage of Scripture and really sit down in it and pick it apart and find all of the principles. But this morning, I've given you one passage. I've pulled out one big idea that from the Great Commission, this great expository principle is that Jesus has commanded us to make disciples. As His disciples, we're supposed to make more disciples. And I think that we do have a universal purpose, and I think we've got a local vision, and I think there's ways for us to know whether or not we're fulfilling these things. But I also want to hand to you this morning uh, 10 more things. I want to give to you eight principles for faithfulness and fruitfulness. And then at the tail end, I'm going to hand to you what I think are two key actions that we as a church family can take in order to have a faithful and fruitful 2019. They're not going to be, it's not going to be rocket science. It's not going to be something that's just going to be shocking to your mind. But I think in the season of life that we're in, if we will do these two things that I'm going to hand to you at the end, it could, it could help you as an individual. It can help all of our life group, Bible study groups. It can help us as a congregation. But before we get there, let me give to you eight principles, which you might translate this as maybe attitudes or ideas that will help us to be faithful and fruitful. So here we go. Number one, our neighbors are not problems to avoid or projects to fix, but people to invite into friendships. Now, thank you for the one amen on that. <laughs> our neighbors are not problems to fix. They're not they're problems to avoid. They're not projects to fix. They're people to invite into friendships. But a lot of us suffer from the garage door syndrome. And, and that is that you can drive up to your house, you can push a magic button, you can open a door, you can drive in, you can push a magic button, and you can close the gate to the world behind you, and you never have to do anything but nod or wave at neighbors. And our neighbors around us are desperate for fellowship and community. 
They don't need us to come along and just try to fix them. They're not people that we ought to be trying to avoid, but rather these are people with whom the image of God has been placed. And I would say that there is one thing that can solve every woe of decline in a church, and it's very simple. Gospel-focused friendships with lost people. That, that will solve everything. Gospel-centered friendships with those that are still outside of an understanding that Jesus is the Savior of the world. And so our neighbors are not people that we ought to avoid because they're different from us or we you know, had a bad interaction with them, and they're not problems that we just want to go fix everything and then leave them, but rather these are human beings for whom God has put His image into them at their creation, at their conception, that we ought to invite into friendships with us so that they can also see the work of God that is going on in our lives, and they might be a witness of the great mercy and grace of God, and that they would be persuaded that they also need it. Number two, all of the easy places of ministry are illusions. Every once in a while, I'll talk to a church member, and they'll say, well, I want to work, I want to serve, but I I need to kind of ease into it. I need to find a place that's not going to be too hard. Well, those don't exist. All of the easy places of ministry were an illusion to begin with, and they're not there anymore. And you know why? Because sinful people and broken lives are always involved in ministry. Whether it is the life group that you've been attending for decades, or whether it's a brand new ministry that you're going to get involved with, with children or preschoolers or with teenagers or senior adults or young married couples, All ministry is going to be difficult because sin is involved, and it's going to require perseverance for you in dealing with difficult people. And let me just encourage all of us that we should all be nice to difficult people because you are one, all right? This this is all of us. We're all difficult people. Number three, I want to encourage you to speak about the church in the first person. Now, this is kind of the editor, grammarian in me coming out, but this is an important principle for us. It is always we and never you guys, y'all, or the church. If you give in to the temptation of saying to a church leader, whether it be a staff member or a layperson, you ought to be doing or the church ought to be doing then you are on the precipice of falling prey to becoming a consumer of religious goods and services rather than a co-laborer with Christ and His church. The church is not an organization that is here to serve you. You are the church placed here in this community to serve the mission of God along with Christ through the power of His Spirit and with His gospel message to a world that is still lost in darkness. And so we should never, or I mean, we're going to because it's just the way we talk, but we should guard ourselves from ever falling into this that the church is the second person or the third person that somehow I'm somehow separated from it. The church is always a we and never a you guys. Thank you. Number four, let me ask you and encourage you here at the front end of the year to recommit yourself. Number four, recommit yourself to daily and deep study of God's Word. Bible engagement is the number one factor of growth in the life of the Christian. We all know this intuitively, 
We all know this experientially, and I can prove it to you statistically from studies that have been done across North America and the world. Whether or not you, you are a regular consumer of God's Word is the number one determining factor as to whether or not you will grow up in your faith. There is no growing in your faith if you leave your Bible closed. And so if you ever get to that point where you say to yourself, I just want to hear God speak to me, the simplest way to do that is open your Bible. If you want to hear God's voice, open your Bible and read out loud. All right, that's, that's what you do there. But recommit yourself to a daily and a deep study of God's Word. And some of you are doing awesome. Some of you have been reading the Bible uh, very faithfully, and you've been studying God's Word for many, many years. And others of you, you kind of wander in and out of it a little bit. It is, this is the moment. This is the time for you to dig back into. Number five, passionately pray for the Holy Spirit to bring a great awakening. Now, the phrase great awakening has two different meanings. There is a very kind of, you know, kind of everyday meaning that you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We want there to be a spiritual kind of revival of people beginning to be aware that, that, that God is there and in His heaven and that He actually is looking down upon us and He, he is involved in the everyday uh, affairs of mankind. But there's also a historical anchor for this idea. Uh, in the United States of America, we have experienced, for sure, two great awakenings. Uh, some historians point to three, and we almost, we almost had another one back in the 70s. But there's reasons for which it got stifled. But a great awakening, uh, the first great awakening, it happened primarily in the Northeast, led uh, by a couple of different ministers. One of them was Jonathan Edwards. And, and it was a, a season and a time where it was not just like people got excited about going to worship again and being in Bible study, but rather that there was mass transformation of entire cities. You know, I, I, have, uh, I have tried to take to prayer that God would transform Bradenton or Manatee County as a whole from being the city of man to being the city of God. I mean, this is a place of, of great crisis. Now, the opioid epidemic is as bad here as it is in any of the mega metro areas of the state of Florida. Uh, Manatee County and our neighboring county account for about 10% of all the foster care children in the state of Florida are right here in two different counties. Uh, we have everything from the wealthy uh, who have very full homes and very empty souls to, uh, to the urban poor uh, that are just barely scraping by and they wonder if there's any hope whatsoever in, in the world or in eternity. And we should pray passionately in every environment, from your personal devotional life to our life groups to our worship services, we should be joining our hearts together in prayer, asking the Holy Spirit to sweep through us and sweep through our county with a great spiritual awakening. Number six, if you do number four and five, number six will not be a problem. Number six, re replace complaints about lost preferences with discussions about Jesus. Uh, we've all lost something that we really, really loved. Uh, I, being a, uh, a, a child who was a teenager in the 1980s, I lost Petra. Petra was my favorite musical group. I love Petra. 
I mean, beat the system and the color song and, and more power to you. I went to their concerts. I mean, they were my favorite. And now they're just a bunch of old guys still trying to play rock music. It's, it's not the same. It's not the same. But I should not complain about, not, about Doug not doing Petra music in the service. You, no? I mean, he tells me no every time I ask him. He tells me no every time. Because there's all sorts of stuff that I could complain about that I don't have anymore. I don't have my youth group anymore. I don't have my youth minister, Larry, anymore. I don't have the guy who mentored me, Matt, anymore. I don't have the, the D-Now weekends that I went to as a kid. I, I don't have any of that anymore. But you know what I do still have? I still got Jesus. Amen. And, and the titles uh, of, uh, of the songs are going to change, and the titles of our Bible study groups are going to change, and the attention that is going to be given to this announcement or that announcement, or the temperature that's in the worship center, or the program emphases are going to change over time. All of that's going to change. And if our conversations are more about our preferences than Jesus then what I've discovered about myself is that I don't have pr priorities that need rearranging. I have idols that need to be torn down because I have put other things up. And so I want to just encourage you, like I'm trying to encourage my own heart, that I am going to commit myself, that I'm going to talk more about Jesus than I am about any of the other stuff, that I want people to hear about Jesus and not about the other stuff. Number seven, the fruitful growth of our church is directly related to the faithful work of our members. You know, these two words, I think, are really critical for us, are fruitful and faithful, uh, because there is, uh, there is the temptation in the life of a church to become addicted to numbers. Uh, we want to know what the numbers are, and, the, and we track the numbers. We keep up with the numbers. We got Excel spreadsheets coming out our ears. Um, I, there's somebody in our office that I think Excel is like their love language, uh, and, uh, you know, I'm convinced that the libraries of hell are filled with Excel spreadsheets. Oh, my goodness. Um, I'm, you know, but so, I mean, we keep up with the accounting and the numbers and the people who join and the baptisms and the uh, people who've been in life groups uh, week by week. But, but instead of always getting to the, to the lag measures, the lead measure that's going to drive everything is going to be the faithfulness of us. Because I can just promise to you, there's no program and there's no innovative strategy that is going to grow a church effectively without faithfulness to the gospel by members. Ministry and growth has to be personal business done by people who are personally invested in people who need Jesus. And so when you and I see a void or a gap in a ministry, we should not be the people who point to it and say somebody needs to go do something about that over there. Instead, we should be the ones that are jumping in to serve in it. And I can tell you that right now we've got two critical areas that need service, children's ministry and student ministry. Frank Welch, where are you? Raise your hand. Frank is our leadership intern who's helping us to lead our student ministry while our personnel committee, which you can pray for them because they're going to be meeting uh, Tuesday night to talk about the staffing of our church as we now have some vacancies on staff and how we're going to restructure the staff going forward. Frank and I uh, are team teaching on Wednesday nights to our student ministry, and I love uh, our, our young adults. I see a couple of them over there that serve with our student ministry. But on Wednesday nights, uh, here's how the age range goes for leadership with our student ministry. It, it goes people in their young 20s to me, and there's nobody in between. Now, 
I'm old. <laughs> like, I, I'm more old than I actually am old. Like, I'm going to have a birthday next month, and I'm going to be 49, but, like, I'm way older than 49. Like, the kids look at me, and they're like, 49? You could die from 49. <laughs> they, like, huddle up around me, and they say, let's pray for him. He has 49. Um, so, we need, we need some, some, some other grown-ups, and, I, and I'd say guys. We need some, some dudes to jump in there with us with the student ministry. We need the same thing in our children's ministry. There's needs if you'll be willing to serve. And the fruitfulness of our church is keyed off of the faithfulness of us as a people to one another and to Christ and to His gospel. And then number eight, and then I promised I'm going to get to two key actions. Number eight, know your one. Know your one. Who is the one local human being that you are praying daily for their salvation and looking diligently for an opportunity to present the gospel to? Now, I know a bunch of you, and there's a bunch of you in this room that you got way more than one. You got a whole list of people. I know that there are some very active uh, witnesses for Christ in the room. But then maybe you find yourself in a category that you would, if, if, if it came right down to it, and you had to stand up and, and, you know, give an answer that you would say, you know, I, I've not witnessed to anybody in maybe a few years. Like, I, I've been a little squishy there. So who's your one? Let's just start with one. Who is the one person here locally that you will commit that you're going to pray like all get out that they would have an encounter with Christ that would be undeniable and that would, that would persuade them of their great need to be forgiven of their sins and to, and to find salvation in Christ? And, and will you pray diligently, consistently, constantly, passionately, tearfully for their salvation? And will you look for opportunities to present the gospel to them? It might be the, the gal at the grocery store that you always like going to her checkout, you know, register. It might be a neighbor that's down the hallway from you in, in the towers where you live. It, it might be a coworker. It, it might be somebody that you've known for years, and you've known for years that they're not a believer. But this is going to be a season of your life where you're going to lean in to uh, desiring that they be persuaded by the work of God in you and through you that they would become a believer. Well, so I've given to you what I think is the universal purpose of the church, a, a local vision for the church, how we're going to measure whether or not we're doing this, and then some maybe uh, principles and for some of us uh, attitude adjustments. But here are two key actions, two simple things, that if we'll do these two things during the course of 2019, I think that we will see God multiply His work among us. Number one, and that is increase the number of life groups in our church. The more Bible study groups we create, the more on-ramps and environments that we create for new people to get connected and, and find uh, spiritual truth in Jesus Christ. New groups create new opportunities for new people to join and more people actually to lead. They provide for more people who need connection, and, and they provide for more people who need discipleship. 
It is the system, whether it is we reach back and we say we always called it Sunday school or we reach forward to whatever it's going to be called in the next two or three decades. Uh, when I arrived here a couple of years ago, I actually counted up that there were seven different names for what we called our Bible study groups here at First Baptist. We called them Sunday school classes, adult Bible fellowships, share groups, life groups, care groups, and there were a couple of other things there and thrown in as well. We had all sorts of names for it. And I've told you, I, I don't have any desire to have like a church cuss jar that if you don't call it life groups and you call it something else, you know, you don't have to drop a quarter in, although that'd be fine. We'd, take, we'd send it to missions. Um, but whatever, that, that small Bible study group where you connect for ministry, for prayer, for leaning on one another, uh, for ministry to each other in the Word, there's a whole community around us that they don't have that. I, do you, I mean, let's just face facts. In our community, there's probably close to 200,000 people in Manatee County that don't regularly attend a Bible study group like you get to. They're not benefiting from that thing that you're benefiting from. They're not in the middle of, of that robust conversation about the real meanings of life and the power of Christ at work within us. They don't have a group of people that if they went to the hospital, they would they would get prayed for, they would get visited. I think about just this weekend, one of our uh, long-term members and long-term leaders, Debbie. Debbie had a, she had a health crisis over the weekend, and, and I know her life group, that man, they covered her up in prayer, and they called her, and they checked on her as much as she doesn't want to be called or checked on. I mean, we love that gal. Uh, but, but Debbie, there's no way that Debbie's going to be alone during this crisis. Now, she's doing okay, and, and, and things are looking up. Uh, but that's the cool thing that happens in a life group is that people get connected and people get cared for and people can grow in their faith, and people who don't know Jesus yet have a place where they can ask their big questions. So we need to increase the number of life groups. And so if you feel called or you feel kind of a, uh, you know, a shudder in your heart where it's like, man, I could be a part of a core group or I could be a teacher or I could be a host or I could be a leader of somehow or I could just be the person who plans the parties for them. I mean, just all you got to do is raise your hand and let us know, hey, I feel like this is a work that I could be a part of. Because if we'll increase the number of those groups where new people can get connected, it'll change everything. And the other thing is this. And that is, I want to encourage you to host a family dinner. Host a family dinner. Some of our neighbors are uninterested in coming to church services. Some of our neighbors are intimidated with the idea of driving up onto a, a church parking lot and having to find their way into the right uh, building and they don't know what's going to happen in here. They don't, you know, they're waiting for us to break out the snakes or whatever. <laughs> Which those are fine if you take them right out of the refrigerator. Um, so some people are uninterested. Some people are intimidated. Other people are insulted. They're insulted by our very presence here in the community. They wish that, that we would shut down and go away and stop talking about uh, that crazy Jesus stuff that he's on par with a, a big spaghetti monster in the sky. But here's what all of your neighbors enjoy. Dinner. Uh, they all like dinner. Uh, they all like uh, pie or burgers grilled out. or uh, They all got to eat. And so I want to challenge you that during the course of this year that you create bridges for friendships 
uh, where people can walk across into your living room and maybe find their way meeting and getting to know a person who has been changed by the gospel. And so to facilitate this, I'm going to ask you, and we're going to publish this in the next e-newsletter, that there are going to be five weeks during the course of 2019 where I'm going to ask you to very specifically, I hope you do it a whole lot more than that, but five different weeks during the course of 2019 where you will either commit individually as a family unit, whether you're by yourself or you got a family, or you're going to cluster together with some friends in the church, maybe some friends in your life group, and you're going to host a dinner where the intention is we're going to, we're going to invite people that are unchurched, dechurched, never churched into our home, to our dinner table, just to get to know them, just to deepen the friendships with them just so that they can see the grace of God at work in our lives and in our hearts and, and pray that God will help us build bridges so that they will we'll get an opportunity to tell them about Jesus at either then or some point in the future. The first time I hope that you'll do this is between January 25th and February 2nd. So the end of this month, January 25th to February 2nd, uh, that you would say, I will commit, I will make the decision that we'll host uh, a, a dinner, a dessert, uh, we'll get together and watch a, a, a ball game, uh, we'll all go fishing down by the river, but we're going to get together with some people that we normally don't get together to deepen our friendship so that we can hopefully one of these days introduce them to the gospel of Christ. I believe that sustainable growth for our church will come through personal ministry by the membership of our church family. That's where the sustainable growth will come. That is how we're going to be able to empower one another to live out our faith, and to love all of our neighbors. Now, again, I know that this has been a different message than you're accustomed to. If you've been around for a long time, and if you're brand new, uh, it's a little bit different than you'll hear next week. So come back next week. Um, but I, I want us to conclude this time uh, this morning of, uh, in just a time of prayer, uh, this message time, a time of prayer. And then uh, Doug is going to lead us in, in singing the, the first stanza of the song, In Christ Alone. And uh, so we're just going to pray together. And, and during this time of prayer, I'm going to ask for you to just think through these principles that I've talked about and, and commit yourself to whatever changes or whatever nuances that need to be changed in your life. And then, and then Doug's going to lead us in, in uh, one verse of this great song, In Christ Alone, and then we'll move on through the conclusion of our service. And so let me just say that uh, if there's some decision that is rattling around in your heart that you know you need to make, uh, at the conclusion of our service today, I'll be here at the front, and I want to encourage you just to walk forward and say, hey, will you pray with me? Or, hey, can you answer a question? And, and we can sit and we can talk and, uh, and work through whatever it is, uh, whether it means church membership or baptism, or you're here today and, and you really want to follow Jesus, you want to commit your life to Christ, you can do that right now. You don't need any special words from the pastor to do that. But let's just take a few moments and pray together and ask God to burn in our hearts His great purposes for our church.